Our passage this morning is from Genesis 37, and we're reading verses 5 through 11, and then verses 23 through 30. And this is from the Common English Bible. Joseph had a dream and told it to his brothers, which made them hate him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. When we were binding stocks on the grain field, my stock got up and stood upright while your stocks gathered around it and bowed down to my stock. His brothers said to him, will you really be our king and rule over us? So they hated him even more because of the dreams he told them. Then Joseph had another dream and described it to his brothers. I've just dreamed again, and this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he described it to his father and brothers, his father scolded him and said to him, What kind of dreams have you dreamed? Am I and your mother and your brothers supposed to come and bow down to to the ground in front of you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father took careful note of the matter. When Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's long robe, took him and threw him into the cistern, an empty cistern with no water in it. When they sat down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with camels carrying sweet resin, medicinal resin, and fragrant resin on their way down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What do we gain if we kill our brother and hide his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's not harm him because he's our brother. He's family. His brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they pulled Joseph up out of the cistern. They sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and found that Joseph wasn't in it, he tore his clothes. Then he returned to his brothers and said, The boy's gone, and I, where can I go now? May God's word shape us and form us. So we are in the second Sunday of Lent, and... uh, we're coming down the stretch in the Genesis series, and it's interesting because the end of Genesis is aligned with Lent for us in this sermon series, and uh, one of the things that I've been meditating on or thinking about is how Genesis or this, the, uh, the Joseph story, the Joseph narrative, uh, aligns with kind of the death and resurrection of Christ, because the Joseph story has a lot of rises and falls in it. There's ups and downs. Um, and we'll, we have a picture of uh, a snapshot of one of those dramatic scenes um, in our passage today. And um, to, to look at them side by side with the passion narrative, I think is an interesting exercise. Um, but let me pray and uh, we'll get started. God, thank you for your word and thank you for a community of faith growing around your word and i pray that you would use uh, my brain and my words uh, in some way with your holy spirit to connect with people connect with us and to change us in your name amen i have a question and this is for audience participation as a child did you have any dreams growing up what kind of dreams did you have growing up don't be shy. I remember doing that. I remember that pirate in Miami. Uh-huh. He was chasing us. He was chasing you? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. I dreamt about a really, really large spider chasing me. Uh-huh. Are you afraid of spiders now? Um, a little bit. 
<laughs> Not as much. the flying dreams. <laughs> that's that's really good. There's a dream about being on like winning or like being in the MLB finals or something, eating Grand Slams. <laughs> How about like um so those are like nighttime dreams? How about like uh childhood dreams, like aspirations? <laughs> no, no. We can take we can do both. <laughs> A librarian? I can just sit and read all day. <laughs> 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 Anyone else? So, like, Padres and Kong and Kathak. Right. Right. I want to be in a fiction. Oh. I want to be in a fiction. I want to be in a fiction. Mmm. <laughs> Thanks for uh, Thanks for pointing po- that out and drawing that out. <laughs> so why didn't you become a brain surgeon? <laughs> well, my uh, uh, my aspirations as a child, I really, really, for many, many years, wanted to play running back in the NFL. And as a, in my childhood, we grew up. In Texas, so I was a Dallas Cowboys fan, and at that time, Tony Dorsett was the running back and just loved him, looked up to him, and, uh, you know, and in our neighborhood, in those days, kids actually played tackle football, you know, outside and just, like, nailed each other. Now, it's like flag football or no football at all, Um, but... So, I loved to be on the playground and always played running back in the playground, and was fast and stuff. So my aspiration to be was to be in the NFL. But each year, that dream became less and less as I stayed the same height and everyone in my class continued to grow taller. I'm, you know, and I pray to God, like, God, give me a growth spurt. Like, what? these other kids are having growth spurts. I'm never getting a growth spurt. And it just never came, actually. I think I was this height and, like, you know, for a long time. And uh, obviously, you know, I never made it to the NFL, although, like Bill, I'm still at, waiting for the Seahawks to give me a call. You know, I think they need a backup running back. But we have dreams growing up. We have dreams in our life. And some of those dreams get realized. Some of those dreams don't get realized. Um, some dreams die. Some dreams come true. And the question that I want in the back of our minds and hearts through this time is what happens when the things we dream and hope for are crushed, don't come to fruition. And behind that question is, does God really make all things 
work together for good? Is God really good all the time? So a bird's eye view of Joseph, we are in the Joseph story, and it's often referred to as the Joseph cycle. And the Joseph cycle is the longest narrative section in Genesis. So it spans from chapter 37 to chapter 50, so 14 chapters. And most of the other stories that we've dealt with in Genesis are uh, short episodes. And a lot of these narratives can be taken on their own, like just a short narrative. We definitely cannot deal with 14 chapters of the Joseph cycle in one sitting. But the Joseph cycle reads more like a story or a novella. Like there's a plot, there's dramatic tension, there's, like I said, rises and falls, um, and rises rises and falls, rises and falls. And um, these rises and falls in the plot and and the drama span Joseph's betrayal by his brothers, um, his being sold into slavery in Egypt, um, then his rise um, from slavery into power in the Egyptian court, and finally reconciliation with his family, and, and a redemption of sorts of Israel, um, Israel's kind of the promise of God and Israel. And the other thing I wanted to note is that Joseph, the Joseph narrative is not about Joseph exclusively. Actually, it, the content is the account of Jacob. Uh, at the top of the chapter reads, um, and this Catherine did not read this part, but Jacob lived in the land of Canaan where his father was an immigrant. This is the account of Jacob's descendants. The Toledot formula we've talked about in the past, Genesis is roughly divided into to the Toledot formula, beginning with the phrase, this is the account of the generations, or this is the count of Jacob's descendants, and then you'll get either a genealogy, a listed genealogy, or you'll get a longer narrative. And so, in this, we have the Toledot formula, this is the count of Jacob's descendants, and then you get the longest narrative in Genesis. So this is actually a Jacob story, Jacob's line, um, even though it's about Joseph, uh, or he's the main character, um, it's about the line of Jacob. It's about Jacob's descendants. And, and it's about God's promises continuing with his people from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Um, so Jacob lived in Canaan where his father was an immigrant. And central to their lives as immigrants and sojourners in the land uh, is God's promises first to Abraham around the promised land. And then if, you, if we look at Genesis, look back to Genesis 12 and on through 50, it traces the story of this family, this family line, in its pursuit of the promise and the drama of this journey as all these obstacles, you know, to the promise, threaten the promise. And a lot of times, oftentimes, the threat comes from within the family itself, right? Like there's all kinds of divisiveness, all kinds of drama within the family among servants fighting one another, wives fighting with one another, servants with wives, brothers struggling for place, brothers, sisters, all these things, people are struggling, and these become threats to the promise. For some reason, people uh, maybe distrust or don't remember uh, the covenant and the promises of God, 
or feel like, oh, it's taking way too long. And they run the course of their own kind of will or ambition or whatever. And those things create dysfunction, divisiveness, and these things cause people to stumble and uh, the promise becomes threatened. In 37, one through four, we see um, that Jacob favored Joseph. Um, and so there's this kind of theme of favoritism, right, in Genesis, when we look at how Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob more. There's this kind of theme um, of favoritism. It goes back to Cain and Abel, right? God considered Abel's, the person, the man, and his sacrifice more than Cain. Cain's interpretation of that was to have envy, have anger, and he followed through with murder, right? And so what we do, what people do in the midst of perceived favoritism or perceived one person as being blessed, I'm not being blessed, my blessing is smaller than that person's blessing, um, this, what, what happens in the heart, I think, is a very important thing um, in Genesis. And, and so it says in, uh, in verse 3 of chapter 37, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other sons, because he was born when Jacob was old. And it's interesting to note that it, the name is Israel here, when at the very top of the chapter, it was Jacob. So Jacob's given name from God was Israel. Um, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his other sons because he was born when Jacob was old. Jacob had made for him a long robe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of his brothers, they hated him and couldn't even talk nicely to him. If you remember and when we were talking about Jacob and Esau's uh, reconciliation, Jacob decided to send his family and his household in stages, right? So he sent his servants and his servants' children, his children through his servants. Then he sent Leah's and Leah's children. And then finally, Rebecca, uh, Rachel, and then Joseph was at the back, and then himself, he was at the very back. Uh, so, so it was like, if these first people die, then at least we can run away. If one, two, and three die, at least me and Joseph will be saved. If Joseph dies, at least it will be me, right? And so in that, what we see is kind of, once again, I think in Jacob's eyes, he sees Joseph as like his heir, as like the central main heir, and he favors him. He gives him a nice leather jacket, right? That says Joseph in the back. And the brothers are like, we never got a jacket from, from uh, dad. And so uh, there's this theme of favoritism. There's a seed that's planted, much like a seed that was planted in Cain, much like a seed that was planted um, in Jacob and Esau and Rebekah uh, of, man, I can't even talk to Joseph. These are his brothers because he's favored by our father, right? He's the favored one. And I imagine some of the sons, the eldest of the sons, are actually, uh, their mothers were servants. So we don't know what the kind of family dynamic looked like. Like were the servants sons kind of less, but they're still sons of Jacob, actually. And then there's Leah's sons, right? And then there's Joseph. And so clearly Joseph is the one who's like, he's the youngest, and yet he's set above everyone on a podium 
um, of more import. So when we turned it uh, on to verses 5 through 11, Joseph dreams. And uh, if you're kind of like the favored person, like maybe the teacher's pet in a class, you know everyone starts hating the teacher's pet, right? If you're the teacher's pet and people are hating on you, you want to lay low, right? You want to be like, nah, 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 nah. Like, I don't like the teacher. School is stupid, right, to your friends. I, I don't like to be smart. But Joseph, he doesn't do any of this, right? He's like, come to his brothers. Hey, I've had two dreams. You want to hear my dreams? I had a dream that when we were out in the fields binding stocks, my stock stood up straight and tall above everyone else's stocks, and all of your stocks bowed to me. <laughs> Funny, right? And this brother's like, Arr. And to throw insult upon injury, he said, I had another dream, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing to me. Right? Apparently, you know, there's 11 brothers, other brothers, so the stars are the brothers. The sun and the moon must be their parents, right? J Jacob and Rachel and, or the other mothers. And they're all bowing to me. And at this point, his brothers are like, hey, let's get this guy. Um, and his father scolds him. Verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father took careful note of the matter. Right? And he scolds him. Why are you dreaming these dreams? Right? Will you really rule over us? Will you really, do you really expect your brothers and me and your mother to bow before you? Um, but on the one hand, he's scolding them, but it ends with that phrase, but his father took careful note of the matter. Right? And this kind of reminded me of Jesus' infancy narrative, birth narrative, where in Luke, you have all these things happening and the, the, the shepherds visit the infant Jesus and everyone's celebrating, everyone's amazed. And what does it say in the scripture? It says, and Mary treasured all these things in her heart. She remembered these things and put it in the heart. And later on in that chapter uh, is the scene where Jesus, they lose Jesus in the temple, right? They've traveled to Jerusalem and they're leaving. They discover that Jesus is not in the caravan and they have to go back to Jerusalem and they find Jesus in the temple, right? They find Jesus in the temple teaching uh, the Pharisees, the scribes, teaching the religious leaders, and they scold him, right? His mom scolds him, where have you been? You scared us half to death, right? But it says in verse 51 that his mother cherished every word in her heart. And then Jesus matured in the wisdom and years and in favor with God and with Jacob, or with God and with people. Jacob kind of treasuring things in his heart, remembering kind of Joseph's actions, reminds me of a parent who kind of knows the potential, right, of their child. They see their son or their daughter and they see themselves in it or they see the future kind of potential of that child. And maybe in the moment they did something wrong, right? Maybe in the moment it was like they need to scold them, but on the side Jacob's like, man, there's something about Joseph that's special. And, and last week I talked about the venom of a baby snake, right? Baby snakes are more deadly because they don't know how to use their venom than adult snakes, right? And we use that 
uh, to describe Jacob. That Jacob had this drive and this ambition, and he was like a baby snake. And maybe in his youthful years, it was like deadly, right? He didn't know how to use that power. He didn't know how to use um, maybe the personality that God had given him. And I think Jacob recognizes something in Joseph. Like, you're obnoxious and annoying right now, and your brothers hate you. I even hate you, right? It's like when Isaiah is like, obviously, and he tells me some fact. I'm like, part of me is like, man, shut up, kid, right? You're not smarter than me. And then the other half of me is like, hey, he's, he's going to be smart, right? Like, <laughs> Right? So it's this, it's this clash, and that's how I see it is. Joseph is really, really obnoxious, and he's young, right? And he's, he doesn't know the right timing. He doesn't have good bedside manner. He doesn't have social norm. He just, like, blurts these things out that aren't timely and aren't, like, you know, helpful, right? But it still says that Jacob uh, remembered these things, um, and essentially treasured them in his heart. Maybe he does see that Joseph will be a leader someday. You know, maybe he does see that Joseph will, you know, rise up one day and be the carrier of the covenant of the blessing. And so he holds these things. Um, verses 12 through 22 of Genesis 37, um, the death of dreams. The death of dreams. Uh, Jacob sends Joseph to check on his brothers who are shepherding the flocks. And uh, at the beginning of this chapter, we see that um, Joseph regularly tattled on his brothers. Like he told on his brothers. Like he checked up on them, saw what they're doing, and he told on them to his father. And so Jacob is sending Joseph to check on his brothers, see what they're up to. And so there's this kind of insinuation that we don't really trust what's going on. Joseph, you're my favorite son. Go check out in the field, see if they're actually with the sheep and not kind of like going into town and living it up and bar hopping and stuff like that. Uh, so he sends him to check on his brother. Um, and this kind of image, again, connected me to another place in scripture about another young, ruddy youth who was sent to bring cheese to his brothers while they're in battle, right? Uh, young King David before he was king, his brothers were in the fields, were in the battle, and he was sent uh, by his father, father to bring cheese to them. In that story, he was, again, another audacious young youth, right? He hears Goliath uh, challenging the armies of the Israelites. And David, what does he say? He says, I'll fight them. Why are people just standing around? Who dares threatens the armies of the living God? And his brothers are like, shut up, <laughs> you know? Pip squeak, shut up. But David actually goes to Saul, puts, or goes out and fights Goliath and defeats him. Um, and we see this kind of character in Joseph going out. And indeed, they're not there. He looks around and a guy tells him, what are you, who are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers. They're not here. He said, oh, they went into Dothan, the town. Right? They went to go find some power converters. And... Um, Another Star Wars show. Uh, thanks. Uh, and this is where the plot comes in, right? 
They're in Dothan, so Joseph goes to Dothan to go find them, and they see him at a distance and plot to kill him. And this, this kind of gazing and seeing someone at a distance is, uh, is an interesting image here, because we saw this in, 32 and 30, in chapter 33 with Jacob and Esau, right? Esau sees Jacob at a distance and runs to him, and they embrace, right? And it's much like the prodigal son in Luke 15. The father gazes out, sees right, the son returning, and runs to him. Right? And they're reconciled, embraces. But in this, they see him at a distance. And instead of grace and reconciliation and love for their younger brother, it's they plot to kill him. They actually plot to kill him. Here comes the big dreamer. Come on now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns. And we'll say a wild animal devoured him. Then we will see what will become of his dreams. What will become of his dreams? We will see what will become of his dreams now. That is the statement. What will become of his dreams now? That is the core threat. What will become of God's promises? What will happen to the dream, this covenant, this promise? Now that uh, we're at wit's end, now that we're at the bottom of a dry cistern with no water in the desert, God had promised life. God had promised posterity. God had promised blessing but Joseph is only eating dust at the bottom of the cistern what about the promises of God what about the dream um, and we, we know that Reuben has a conscience he's the eldest of Leah's sons um, he has a conscience that says don't kill him just leave him in this pit and his intent was to come back later and to save him. But after Reuben had left, the brothers had changed their mind, right? They had thrown him into the pit, and they sit down and eat. I don't know about you. If I had thrown my brother in a pit, I'm not going to just sit down and eat, right? I'd be like stressing out. How am I going to cover this up? It's just cold-blooded, right? They're like, let's eat. And sure, Joseph was obnoxious, but his brothers are inhuman in their actions against him. Um, but then they see some Ishmaelites traveling on the road to Egypt, and they, they decided to turn a prophet and traffic Joseph. Right? They decided to sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites because um, at least they can make a make something out of it. At least they can get some money out of it. Um, and that is the value of Joseph's life um, in their eyes. Reuben comes back and is devastated. The boy's gone. Where can I go now? He feels the loss of Joseph. This is a death for him as well as a loss of hope and purpose. Where can I go now? Maybe he's thinking, Jacob, Dad is going to kill me. You know, I'm responsible. Right? 
where can I go now? My life's over because Joseph is gone. I was going to save him. And he probably feels really, really guilty and bad that he didn't say more, that he didn't step in more aggressively, that he was so passive in protecting Joseph. He didn't want him to die, so he just said, oh, just throw him in this pit. Throw him in this pit. The temple veil has torn. The skies have darkened. It is finished. The stone has been rolled. Hope is gone. Death has come. Right? Joseph is sold out to Egypt. And when we read, uh, there's some amazing kind of emotional pieces in the Joseph cycle. And it's, it's very beautiful. If you have time to sit down and just read it completely through, you just see a lot of kind of humanity. And... Uh, so in verse 31, the end of the chapter, his brothers took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a male goat, and dipped the road, robe in the blood. They took the long robe, brought it to their father, and said, We found this. See if your son's robe, it's your son's robe or not. Jacob recognized it and said, It's my son's robe. A wild animal house devoured him. Joseph must have been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put a simple mourning cloth around his waist, and mourned for his son for many days. All of his sons and daughters got up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, telling them, I'll go to my grave mourning for my son. And Joseph's father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold Joseph to the Egyptians, to Potiphar, Pharaoh's chief officer, commander of the of the royal guard. As we are in the season of Lent, and as we consider the death and resurrection, the passion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, um, you can see this kind of death of dreams, right? This rhythm of a death and dreams, right? The temple veil being broken, the skies having darkened, Jesus li looking up at the heavens saying, it is finished, and the stone being rolled and closing on the tomb, hope being gone, death has come. And this is the death of dreams. And for Jacob, as a father, who looked, who favored Joseph, who had so many hopes placed on Joseph, who treasured things about Joseph in his heart, who had pursued um, living in this land because of the promise uh, to his great-grandfather and his his grandfather and his father um, it's gone in his eyes he's like there's nothing left I'm going to go to my grave morning right? it's finished it's done um, what happens to us when dreams die and this is uh, if you can go to this is a time of response, and these questions are written on the sheets of paper on your table, uh, on your chairs, for you to, you can write, reflect on them, or do whatever, take whatever posture you need to posture, take. Uh, but when dreams die, how do you handle loss? For what are you mourning now? Number two, what are things that threaten your trust in God? 
And then the, uh, the flip side of that, kind of as we step into the passage, maybe as the brothers, you know, resonating with the brother. Advocacy. How does envy lead you to kill people with your actions or words? And then number two, like Reuben, how do you choose not to act in the midst of injustice? How do you fail to advocate for those who are being destroyed around you? Right? Like Joseph, he, he has, or Reuben has a good heart, right? And he's like, at least I'll try to like, let's not kill him, right? And then I'll save him later. But in the end, it didn't help at all. It didn't help Joseph. And this is kind of like the sin of omission or kind of passivity. And I think it's kind of rampant in our culture, right? Where there are places we could stand for truth or st stand up for Jesus or stand up for other people that are being hurt. And we just kind of like, ah, don't kill them, <laughs> you know? And the passivity of that, how do, how do we fail to advocate for others? So let's uh, take some time to reflect on that.